0: history, there have been uh, some incredible people who have wanted to rule the world and to conquer the world. You go back to Nebuchadnezzar, you go back to Darius, you go back to uh, men like Attila the Hun and Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan and you you run up to people like uh, uh, Lenin and and Stalin and Hitler and uh, these were were valid runs. Uh, Some of them made it further than others. Napoleon, for example, uh, but all of these guys kind of pale in comparison to the first rebellious uh, usurper of, of of God, the one who wanted to rule the world first, and his name was Satan. After Satan's heavenly rebellion against God was crushed, and he and all of his angelic followers were were thrown out of heaven, the devil became the god of this world. He became the god of this age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. King Jimmy says that um, the devil is referred to as the god of this age. But that's uh, uh, New King James. King James says that he literally is the god of this world. So those aren't my words. Those are the words from the word of God. When he was kicked out of heaven, that was the title that he took. He, he, he ruined this place down here. And all of these men and a host of, of lesser lights of, have, have one thing in common in their quest to control the world. Every single one of them failed. Uh, every single one of them fell short. Because there's only one person who has the right, who has the power, who has the authority, who has the ability to rule this place. Only one person is capable of ruling the world. No evil person, no good person, no holy angel, no demon. But there's only one who's worthy. and His name is King Jesus. He is the one that is worthy, able, and capable of... Of ruling this world. Chapters 4 and 5 in Revelation. Describes really heaven staging. God's plan to take back the world. From, the Satan, uh, from Satan. To take back the world. To finish the redemption plan. That was, that was started. That, uh, to remove the curse. That started in the garden of Eden. I see the scroll in chapter 5. That Johnny Cash read for us today. Uh, I look at the scroll. In chapter 5 really. As, as a major focus. Yeah, I think that it's the title deed to the earth. Maybe even the title deed to the universe. But it is a title deed, and we're going to focus on that today because usually titles or deeds have what you possess, what you have, what, uh, what is in your estate. But in this particular title deed, it's not just what the estate has, but how, how the one who has the title deed will take back what has been stolen. So it's not just what they have, but how they're going to take it back. Um, A scroll was a long piece of parchment that was rolled up from the ends and rolled into the middle. And usually, if it was a significant document, they would seal up that seam in the middle. And the more seals there were, the more importance was given to that particular document. Uh, Roman wills were created in this exact same fashion. Uh, but again, I don't think this is a will. That's speculation. I, I, I'm speculating that it's a title deed as well. But it makes a lot of sense for me personally that it's a title will. Um, if you're looking for what a biblical example would be or a Hebraic example of what the scroll would be, it wouldn't be a will. It would actually be a title deed uh, to a piece of land. And what they would do, and I show a picture of it. This is in the uh, uh, Israel Israel Museum there in Jerusalem. But they would take a piece of paper and they would write out what you know from this tree to that tree, from that creek to that creek. This is the land, and I'm buying it from you. And we would fold that in two. I'd sign a I'd sign a sign of it. Then I'd fold it over, you'd sign a sign of it, I'd fold it over and you'd sign a sign of it, and we'd seal it. Once again, the more seals that are on there, the more importance is given to that document. Uh, In the book of Jeremiah, there's actually an account of a title deed being presented, being written up. Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 32. There was a land purchase. um, So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamiel, and I weighed out uh, to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. I recorded it on a... And I, same picture that you're seeing in Revelation chapter 5. I weighed out the silver, I paid what was owed and paid it on the scales. What Revelation 5 scrolled to me is a title deed to the earth. And what God is about to do to, to get everything back. To get back what the enemy has stolen, what he's saved, what he's, what, he's, uh, what he's taken. Our God will only, and here's the thing. Uh, I've already told you that the God of this world, his name is the devil. Well, it's God's world. He's only going to let somebody play God for so long. And what we're saying in Revelation 5 is, man, this is, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where uh, the devil is going to get kicked out. This is where the rest of Calvary will be played out. So that's what we're seeing there in Revelation chapter 5. Our God will only allow the devil to play God for so long because Jesus redeemed the world at Calvary. He paid the price and the ransom at Calvary. And the devil today is a trespasser. He has no business being here. And thank God it won't be long before he is evicted. Now this scroll may be a will. It may be a title deed. Again, it's speculation. But the one thing I do know, there was only one person found who was worthy to open the scroll only one whether it's a will or whether it's a title deed there was only one and before we kind of begin to extrapolate who that one was i want to look at john because john is doing something that this is the only the only occurrence in all of scripture that we see what's john doing in the in the passage of revelation chapter 5 john said i wept and i wept i didn't think there was supposed to be tears in heaven why is he crying by the way, this is the only time in Scripture we see somebody crying in heaven. I'm not about to develop a doctrine for you out of that one fragment because we have to look at it in this entire context. But I do want to look at those tears. I don't want to just whip it under the rug and, and ignore it. Why is John crying? Revelation 5, 1 through 4. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Remember, we saw the one sitting on the throne back in Revelation 4. There was a scroll writing on both sides. meant it said a lot. And sealed with seven seals. Great importance. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break open the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Now I'm going to tell you why he was crying. It's this. He was sick of seeing sin have its way in the world. He was sick of injustice being done. He was sick of evil. He was sick of the depravity of sin. He was sick of of sin and what the devil had done to the world. And basically he was crying and saying, I know the answer to all of this is in that scroll. You mean to tell me there's not somebody up there who can stop all this. There's nobody up there who can cause an end to the devil's reign. There's nobody up there who can take care of this. So He is weeping. He knew that the Messiah had died. He knew that He had been executed. He knew that Jerusalem had been destroyed. He knew that the temple had been destroyed. He knew that the Jews were being massacred and scattered throughout the world. He knew that the church was up against the ropes, especially that poor little church over up in Smyrna. They're killing them down there. John is seeing all this unfold, and he's saying, God, why don't You do something? Why don't You open the scroll and stop all this mess? He's crying because of sin. He's crying because he's he stood over the grave of a friend who passed away, and he said, "Man, when is all this death going to stop?" The scroll opening up in heaven represents heaven's response to John's question of, "Is there anybody up there who can do something?" As that scroll rolls open, that's the answer. When the mighty angel asked, Is there anybody worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? There was a deafening science, a silence throughout the entire universe. No one said a word. And the thing is, the, the angel didn't say, No, is there anyone willing to open the scroll? He didn't, it wasn't a question of willingness. It was a question of worthiness. Archangel Michael didn't say anything. Gabriel didn't say anything. Moses didn't say anything. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob didn't say anything. David didn't say anything. Solomon didn't say anything. Ezekiel, Isaiah didn't say a word. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, George, Ringo, and George, nobody said a word. Martin Luther didn't say a word. Billy Graham didn't say a word. Nobody said a word. There was nobody there who who stood up. Turns out that there was no one in heaven worthy. And they looked from hell to heaven and every place in between. And there was not one person worthy or able or had the ability to open the scroll. I know why John's crying. Because John's tears are the same tears you and I cried when mama died. Or when our wife said, I don't love you anymore. Or when our husband said, I fell in love with somebody else. The tears John cried in Revelation 5 are the same tears you and I cried when the Doppler went silent. Or when our kids say, hey, I don't believe in God anymore. Those are the tears John cried in Revelation 5, and those are your tears. The tears you cried when the doctor said, you've got six to eight months, get your affairs in order. I'm going to tell you why I know that those were John's tears, because those are the times we go to God and we say, isn't there somebody up there who can do something? Isn't there somebody up there who can stop the reign of this sin and death and evil? Isn't there somebody up there who can do something? We've cried those cares that John cried in Revelation 5. Because you see, if there wasn't somebody found to do something, sin will reign forever. If there wasn't somebody who was found to do something, then the devil would reign forever and have damnation over the earth forever. And the earth stays in Satan's hands. If there wasn't a Redeemer, the title doesn't get transferred. If there's not been a Savior, the world is still belonging to the devil. And so John's crying, isn't there somebody up there who can do something? We've been there. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 through 8. Then one of the elders said to me, Son, what are you doing? Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, representing total knowledge and representing total uh, uh, he, he and total authority. The horns were authority. The eyes meant he saw everything. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand, who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the four the tw- 24 elders spontaneously fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. When we saw the throne last week, we had to guess where Jesus was. We didn't really know. We saw the Holy Spirit, and we saw the Father on the throne, and we had to make guesses on where Jesus was. But brother, we do not make guesses on where Jesus is today in Revelation chapter 4. He's standing in the middle of the throne. Now I'm going to tell you something else. You wondered where Jesus was for Revelation chapter 4. And now he's standing in Revelation chapter 5 on the throne. Maybe he just got back from the rapture. Maybe the resurrected church and the rapture church is among the throngs of people who say, Honor and glory and blessing belong to you forever and ever. Maybe we're a part of that multitude. I don't know. That's speculation, but dang, I sure like to think about it. Rapture happens and there we are, and we're singing, I don't know, but, but, but here's the thing. I want you to notice what they said. John, don't you see the lion from the tribe of Judah? And don't you see the don't you see the lamb and don't you see don't you see the root of David? Y'all, that lion from Judah and the root of David, those are Old Testament terms that they use to describe their Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, Kurios. That passage about the lion from the tribe of Judah is uh, actually found the book of Genesis. Remember what book we're in. The last book of the Bible. Pointing back to the first book of the Bible. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion, my son. You return from the kill. He crouches. He lies like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is. Revelation 5. And what about that root of David. I need you to know something before I read this passage to you because this is in the book of Isaiah. David's daddy's name was Jesse. In a moment, you're going to see a passage that says, the root of Jesse. It's the same thing as saying the root of David because that's David's daddy. The Bible says this A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, David's daddy. From His root, a branch will bear fruit. This is the Lamb. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. All the nations will rally to Him. And and His place of rest will be glorious. Revelation 5, fulfillment. The Lion of Judah, the root of David, is standing there on the throne, breaking seals of the scroll. When the elders saw the Lamb standing as if He had been slain. It triggered spontaneous worship in, in heaven. The four living creatures worship. The twenty-four elders worship. Revelation fifteen uh, five verse twelve says, In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, all the places they looked, they couldn't find nobody worthy to open the seals. Now everybody who is unworthy is giving him praise. And the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, that's right, we're in agreement, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped Him. Y'all, Jesus is called Lamb. This is interesting to me. Remember how last week we said that uh, the throne was mentioned 13 times in a chapter that had 11 verses? Jesus is called the Lamb in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament. With the exception of Revelation. From Jude on back, Jesus is only called the Lamb four times. From Jude to Matthew, only called the Lamb four times. But you want to look at the book of Revelation? You know how many times that dude's called the Lamb in Revelation? 31. Significant? Yeah. It's a purpose, there's a reason. So when we look at the Lamb who was slain, if you were an Old Testament believer who came to faith believing in God, although you had not seen the cross, although you had not known Jesus, you could go to heaven by faith the same way we go to heaven. But when they saw that Lamb, they did not think of the cross. When an Old Testament believer saw the Lamb that as it had been slain, they did not think of Calvary. I will tell you exactly what they thought of. They thought of the Passover. And when they saw that lamb that was slain, they went back in their mind to the Exodus when they were in the control of Pharaoh and they were in the bondage of slavery and they were in the chains of servitude. And the God said, if you will kill a lamb, plaster the blood of that lamb over your, your lintel of your house, your door facing. I promise you that when the death angel comes, as long as you're underneath the blood, the, blood the, the death will not touch you. As long as you're under the blood, it will not come to your house. It will not corrupt your house. And here's the beautiful thing. After this is over, the way you get to the promised land is you go over you go under the blood and when you get under the blood you drop the chains when you get under the blood you leave behind the enemy when you get under the blood you walk into the promised land that's what Old Testament believers saw when they saw the lamb you know what you and I saw? we saw the Paschal lamb we saw the, the perfect lamb of God without spot or without blemish and you know what just like the Old Testament saints brother as soon as we go underneath the blood we are free we find freedom, and we walk into our promise, and we walk into our anointing, we walk into our destiny underneath the blood of the lamb. So, what we're seeing here is the two characters of Jesus coming together—the lion and the lamb. Church, when He went to Calvary, He went as the lamb. But praise God, when He comes back, He's coming back as the lion. The lion was disguised as the lamb at Calvary. When John is seeing what John's seeing in Revelation, Daniel chapter. Uh, I'm sorry, what John is seeing in Revel, uh, Revelation, Daniel saw 650 years before John. I want you to see Daniel 7. And I, man, this, this is almost a carbon copy of what John saw. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was, a, was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given... Authority. He was given glory. He was given sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men, every language, worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Church, what Daniel saw 650 years before John, John sing in Revelation chapter 5. There's a lamb. He's given power, glory. He's just got it. There it is. We're seeing that come to place, uh, come to fruition in Revelation chapter 5. The lamb steps forward. He takes the scroll. Remember Daniel's words. He was given authority, glory, and power. He was given that from the Father's hands. He's taken possession of the title deed of the earth. He's about to crack the seals. And with every crack of a seal, there is a new judgment released on the earth taking stuff away from the enemy. Look what John himself wrote in John 3.35. The Father loves the Son and has placed... What do you think that deed was? Placed everything in His hands. The whole thing. We're looking and we look at the hours leading up to the cross, the same man, John the Revelator, wrote this in John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his hands. Revelation five. As Jesus took the scroll, what he said before his ascension going back to heaven is coming true. Matthew twenty eight says this all authority in heaven and on earth has been that's what the scrolls about guys that's the title deed heaven is filled with eternal worship because of the lamb that was slain they worshiped the lamb because he was worthy church and I lost thought well what's he, why is he worthy what did he do why is it significant that we call him worthy why is that such a big deal what was the price that he paid what made him have the ability first Peter chapter 1 verse 18 through 21 For you know that you are not bought with perishable things such as silver or gold. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life. You were redeemed from Satan. You were redeemed from hell. You were redeemed from your sin. You were redeemed from iniquity. You were redeemed from eternal separation from God. You were bought back and a ransom was paid for you. Not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. A Lamb without blemish. A Lamb without defect. He has chosen you before the creation of of the world, but has revealed in these last times for your sake, though Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorify Him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Church, the cross didn't happen to Jesus. It wasn't an accident. The reason Jesus left heaven and came to earth was to embrace the cross because He loves you. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus embraced it. Christ died for us, man. He came to get the cross. Romans 5 8 says, but God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us when we were having our worst possible day, when we were going through our worst possible crisis. When we didn't behave ourselves, When we didn't act right. When we showed our tail. When we did things that we swore we would never do. When we did things that we are ashamed of. God saw us on our absolute worst day. Talking our absolute worst. Being our absolute worst self. And He said, hey, I've seen you on your worst day. I'm still going to go to the cross for you. Man, He's seen us at our ugliest. And He still died for us. Why would God go to such extravagant lengths? Why would He pay such an incredible price to remove the sin of the world? And you know, He's God. Even before He made the world, He knew that His Son was going to go to the cross and die for our sin. And yet He made it anyway. Okay. If you knew that all this was going to go off the rails, why did you do it? If you knew all this was going to end up the way that it is right now, why did you even start? I'm about to show you a passage. My dear sister Suzanne showed me this week. Ephesians 1. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now here's the money shot. For He chose us in Him before the creation of I'm going to tell you why he did it. Because Glenn, he caught a glimpse of you and he fell in love with you. Because Chris, he caught a glimpse of you and he fell in love with you. Tony, he caught a glimpse of you and he says, I love that person and there's nothing I wouldn't do to secure their relationship, to be in fellowship with them, to be their God and they'd be my people. Church before the cross, before the foundation of the world, before the first before the first grain of sand was put on the coast. God loved us. Before the foundations of the world, before the first star shined, he loved you. And we have, we have a hard I have a hard time accepting that because I know I'm I know me. I know I'm not that good. Let me back. I know I'm not good. But yet somehow God says, I knew you. I know you. I know everything about you. Good, bad, ugly. And I want you to know that I love you enough. I'm going to give my son to die for you. Now, here's the thing. If we truly believe the promises of God, we can just walk into that promise and live it. You know that the Bible actually says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers? Half the time I'm ashamed to say I'm a Christian, not because of my Savior, but because of me. And God knows that. He knows that I dropped the ball. He knows that I'm a failure. He knows it. He knows all my junk. And He still looks at me and says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. And you might be sitting there thinking Brother Mike I can't even imagine that That's why you don't have the job Because I can't imagine it either But I can accept the promise I don't have to understand it to live in it All right. Y'all if you want to know what God Saw in this world that was worth dying for On your way out this morning Make sure you look in the mirror in the foyer Because that's the reason It's you God's wisdom and love were at work before uh, were at work in us before our foolishness and sin came into play. Before we were born, he loved us. Even before the foundations of the world were set, he loved us. Before anything, he loved you. Man, God's your friend. He's not looking the beach in the back of the head every time you get out of line. He loves you. We do that to our kids. God doesn't do that to us. Alright. Already knowing every time we'd fail. Already knowing every time we weep out of fear like John, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to intervene? God, when are you going to save my marriage? When are you going to save my job? When are you going to save my home? When are you going to save my bank account? God already knew every time we had doubt, every time we'd have fear, and still, He loves us knowing all our failures and shameful sin. Church, remember this verse, Romans 5, 8, that God shows His great love for us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Church, if that's not reason to give Him worship, and praise then I don't know what is he knew everything about us and he still chose to go to the cross. Church gratitude is a is a new internet cottage industry. I didn't know about this till I read it. But what's going on online is that there is a crop of websites that provide a platform for people to say thank you or to give gratitude for people that have affected them or impacted them their entire life or their, during their life. Maybe a coach, maybe a teacher, maybe some other person of influence. but there's a couple of a couple of them out there gratitudeunlimited.com and the other one is called Thank, uh, thanking of you not thinking but thanking of you.com. the woman who who started that particular website her name is Nora Firestone And this is what she said, and it's a direct quote. Perhaps you've thought to think think of those who had a lasting positive impact on your own life. A teacher who recognized and encouraged something special about you as a kid. A a coach, a mentor, a friend, or advisor who said or, or did just the right thing at a critical time. A stranger who saved a life or a birth parent who gave a life. Maybe a family member, friend, or boss somehow had a positive influence on you whether decades ago or just this morning, you feel the need to express gratitude for their contributions and they deserve to learn that they made a difference. Church, whether you realize it or not, there's not another person in this entire universe that we owe more gratitude to than God. It's not your teachers. It's not mom and dad. We are told in Scripture that every good and every perfect gift comes from Him. If anyone deserves to hear our gratitude and our praise and, and our worship, it's God. I want you to think about it, man. Count your blessings. How many of y'all breathed air this morning that you didn't make? All of us breathed air today that we didn't make. What's wrong with you people? How many of y'all ate food? Drank water? Drank orange juice? Drank coffee? Church, We have got all kinds of reason to give thanks to God for what He's done in our life. You know what? I think it's a blessing even that He gave us a memory to remember the blessings to count. So if there's anybody in this entire universe that is worthy of our gratitude, it's Him. Remember who brought us all these things. It's God. You don't need a website or an iPhone to thank Him for that. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Who was slain for our pardon. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who was slain for our forgiveness and our redemption and for our salvation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and power. Y'all, here is a—I want to give you this story. I shared this last night. Uh, It's an uncorroborated, anecdotal story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I won't let that stop me from preaching it Uh, because it's just a story. Abraham Lincoln. It's an illustration. He had went to a slave auction. And he went there for the sole purpose of, of buying a slave to set them free. He goes up to this auction and there's dozens of slaves there and he comes up and he begins to bid and he loses. You know, he, he, But this, this young slave comes up there and sure enough, Lincoln bids. And he wins. He wins this slave. Those who have possession of the slave bring it over to Lincoln. He says, here you are. Here's your boy. Lincoln took the young man to the side and said, Sir, you're free. You have your freedom. Nobody's ever said that to that man. He was confused and and Didn't know what to say. The young man said, "Well, Sir, what do you mean I'm free? Am I free to go as I please and say as I please and, and do as I please? Lincoln smiled and said, Yeah. I just bought your freedom. You can go where you please, and say as you please, and do as you please. You're you're free. Slave had never been told he's free. He begins to cry, and Lincoln looks at him and says, "What? What's wrong? You can go anywhere you want, do anything you want, say anything you want. What are you going to do?" Slave looked at the president and said, "Well, sir, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to choose to go with you. I want to follow you." Slave got it. He owed everything to the one who set him free. He owed all of his dedication and all of his diligence and all of his faith and all of his life, all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his strength. He owed, he owed it all to the one who set him free church whoever the son has set free it's free indeed if there's anyone in this universe who has the right to our gratitude and to our praise and to our thanksgiving it's the one who has the powers to break open the seals it's the one who paid the price for our redemption and our ransom because you see there was nobody else worthy able or capable of doing that Only King Jesus. You worship the Lamb because of redemption. He bought you back, but there's another reason. If you don't worship the One who's worthy, you begin to lose your sense of awe and wonder. When you look at chapters 4 and 5 in Revelation, you cannot help but notice how much the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the multitude of people, they were just in awe of God. Church, if we don't get serious about worship, we can lose the sense of awe and wonder and gratitude for our God. I encourage you to remember how worthy He is and how you know the rest of it. He's worthy. We're not. He's holy. We're not. He could do it. We couldn't. He's able. We're incapable. That's the God we come to serve. That's the God we come to worship in this place, in this this hour church we're going to do something a little bit different than what we we normally do we're going to yep sorry we're uh, i thought i was gonna let you out early but it did not look like it's going to be that way we're going to take what we've learned in this message church and we're going to apply it right directly right now into a time of worship we're going to take what we learned about worshiping the lamb that was slain and we're just going to worship him and church here's what i encourage you to do know that christ has paid the price for you with his blood How happy are you about that?